President Tsai Ing-wen on Tuesday received the President of Guatemala, Alejandro Giamate, who's on a four-day visit to Taiwan. The two presidents underscored the strong bond between the two nations. After his meeting with Tsai, Giamate headed to the Legislative Yuan, where he gave an impassioned speech highlighting the unshakable friendship between Guatemala and Taiwan. A red carpet welcome with a 21-gun salute. President Tsai Ing-wen on Tuesday received President Alejandro Giamate of Taiwan's Central American ally, Guatemala. Over the past few years, President Giamate offered great support to Taiwan and strengthened Taiwan-Guatemala exchanges. During my visit to Guatemala, we witnessed the results of our bilateral cooperation. I hope that through this visit to Taiwan, we can deepen the alliance between our two countries and find more opportunities to work together. Rest assured that Guatemala will continue to stand with the ROC Taiwan as a strong diplomatic ally, and we will continue to deepen our cooperation in all sectors. I would like to reiterate our unconditional support for Taiwan, and I hereby wish for a prosperous future and a long life to the valiant and fraternal ROC Taiwan. Long live free Taiwan. The Guatemalan president underscored his country's unconditional support for Taiwan. After his stop at the presidential office, he and his delegation headed to the Legislative Yuan. <laughs> to accommodate Giamate's multiple sclerosis, the Legislative Yuan allowed his car to drive directly to the front of the chamber. Giamate walked a short red carpet to address Taiwan's parliament, becoming the first foreign head of state to do so in 13 years. <laughs> While other countries change their politics as the wind blows, Guatemala stands firm. While other countries put their own interests above their friendships, Guatemala stands firm. We will continue standing firm because this is a matter of justice. We will continue standing firm because we have a long-lasting friendship, and there is no stronger bond than that forged by a long friendship. Long live Taiwan, free, sovereign, and independent. Giamate called on countries around the world to come together in support of Taiwan. He also urged China to cease its military aggression. His impassioned speech drew a standing ovation from lawmakers and reflected the strength of an 89-year-old bilateral friendship. China wrapped up its three-day drill around Taiwan in early April, but since then it's continued to send fighter jets and warships near the island. Taiwan's defense ministry said that on Monday, China's Shandong aircraft carrier reached just 222 kilometers off of Taiwan's southeastern coast. Despite the alarming proximity, one analyst downplayed the threat of the Chinese carrier, saying that it was well within the range of Taiwan's anti-ship missiles. The analyst said the deployment carried more political weight than military implications. The Defense Ministry released a surveillance photo of China's Shandong aircraft carrier, which can carry J-15 fighter jets. The Shandong was just 222 kilometers from Taiwan. The military used joint intelligence, surveillance and reconnaissance systems to monitor a fleet led by the PLA Navy's Shandong aircraft in the Western Pacific, about 120 nautical miles southeast of Ulambi. Although the fleet came in close, analysts say it did not pose a threat. 
The Shandong's deployment was a form of political intimidation of Taiwan, but it had entered the range of our anti-ship missiles, so basically there was no threat. The carrier may have been avoiding the ongoing U.S.-Philippines military exercise in the Philippines. Our military has various countermeasures for such events. There are also domestically built submarines that will be launched this year. These will be able to effectively counter threats at greater distances, threats posed by the CCP's carrier battle groups or amphibious assault groups. Over in Washington, a congressional committee recently conducted a war game simulating a Chinese attack on Taiwan. Although the U.S. military sank 80 Chinese ships during the month-long fight, China was able to land 80,000 troops on Taiwan. The results sounded the alarm on a possible Chinese invasion and urban warfare. It really wouldn't be easy to occupy Taiwan. From the moment they left the port, they would be attacked by our defense missiles. At sea, we have anti-ship missiles that could take down their vessels. On shore, we have the M1A2T Abrams, the strongest battle tank, waiting for the PLA troops. So I suggest that the Beijing authorities exercise restraint. The lawmaker urged China against taking reckless action that could escalate tensions and lead to strife in the Taiwan Strait. The CECC has announced it will downgrade COVID-19. Starting May 1st, COVID will be classified as a Category 4 infectious disease and the CECC will formally disband. A liaison committee will be established within the health ministry to handle new developments in the pandemic. I heard the CECC's plan for downgrading the disease and disbanding, and I agree with their plan. I hope that the Health Ministry's Liaison Committee will continue to monitor the international situation and make the necessary preparations for new developments that arise. At this point in time, we should also make preparations to ensure a good stockpile of disease prevention supplies. The main reason for this change is that the disease has become like the flu. We've been observing trends since March 20th, following changes in our disease reporting criteria. There's been a decrease in the proportions of moderate to severe cases and fatalities. Also on May 1st, the real name registration system for COVID rapid tests will be phased out. Over 15 million tests have been sold so far, with sales dropping from 250,000 a day to an average of 1,000. Publicly funded COVID vaccines will still be available. However, starting May 1st, medical institutions providing vaccinations will be allowed to charge registration fees. The CECC was Taiwan's top COVID authority from the very start of the pandemic when COVID was still an unknown disease. It guided the country through many challenges, including the Panzer fleet outbreak, a nationwide level three alert, and widespread Omicron transmission. Let's look back at the command center's 1,200-day journey ahead of its disbandment on May 1st. It's not because the situation in Taiwan is getting more severe. It's because we're under growing pressure from outside Taiwan. Looking back to early 2020, the CECC was established and quickly upgraded from Level 3 to Level 1. Border controls were swiftly tightened to keep COVID at bay. The pressure was so intense that then-CECC head Chen Shizhong broke down in tears after finding new cases on an evacuation flight from Wuhan.
Despite his exhaustion and stress, Chen went to the airport to welcome the evacuees. The CECC's efforts resulted in a record 253 days without a single domestic case. But the COVID threat didn't end there. In early 2021, a cluster infection swept Taoyuan General Hospital. Later, in April, an even bigger outbreak emerged from a group of pilots staying at a hotel in Taoyuan. Infections started appearing in connection to a gambling venue in Ilan, tea houses in Taipei's Wanhua district, and among members of New Taipei's Lions Club International. We are raising the COVID alert level in Taipei and New Taipei to level 3. The CECC later expanded strict level 3 restrictions to all of Taiwan, extending them for two months. But crisis was averted thanks to the arrival of vaccines procured by the government and donated by other countries. As Taiwan shifted from a zero-COVID policy to coexistence with the disease, the Omicron variant invaded, leading to widespread community transmission in April 2022. The CECC began allowing mild COVID cases to self-isolate at home and started accepting rapid test results as a diagnosis to relieve the burden on the medical system. Self-isolation and quarantine rules were gradually phased out, and the borders were reopened. Now the CECC is stepping down, having weathered nearly 1,200 days of challenges. Turning to today's market news, Taiwan's weighted index tumbled 256 points amid fears of shrinking tech orders and tightening liquidity. The central bank had released concerning data for March indicating a so-called death cross as the M2 monetary gauge outpaced the M1B. This death cross indicates that people are opting for the security of time deposits amid economic instability, leaving less cash to support economic activity. On Tuesday, the TIEX plummeted 1.64% to close at 15,370 points. One analyst, Peter Kurz, warns of a potential drop past the October low of 12,629 points. But other analysts are more optimistic. Chen Guang of First Capital Management says that the probability of such a drop is low given that inventory pressures are gradually easing. Chen forecasts an economic rebound in the second half of the year. He encourages investors to stay active and seize chances to buy as they remain poised for a turnaround. Taiwan is mourning the loss of world-class sculptor Zhu Ming, who died last Saturday at the age of 85. Zhu was found dead by asphyxiation in his home after a battle with chronic illness. President Tsai Ing-wen reacted to the news with grief, while Vice President Lai Qingde thanked Zhu for raising Taiwan's global profile. Former Premier Su Zhenchang paid tribute at a memorial hall, saying that Zhu's spirit and passion would be his most cherished legacy. Acclaimed sculptor Zhu Ming once said that he could never retire as he was devoted to developing Taiwan's art education. His unexpected death has left his family and friends devastated. Former Premier Su Zhenchang visited Zhu's memorial Tuesday morning to pay his respects. He worked tremendously hard all his life. He rose up from the poorest countryside to become internationally renowned, letting the world see Taiwan and leaving behind countless works. We deeply mourn his loss. 
Su shared an old photo on Facebook and said he was grieving his friend's passing. He recalled attending the Juming Museum's 20th anniversary event three years ago. Zhu, who was already in his 80s, was still excited about art and creation. The former premier said that his friend's spirit and passion were the most precious legacies left behind. If we want to remember him, if we want to honor him, then we should give greater respect to art education and the work performed by artists. We should show greater concern for the Juming Museum so that Juming can rest in peace. The artist's death was the loss of a national treasure. Reacting to the news, President Tsai Ing-wen expressed her grief and conveyed condolences to his family. Vice President Lai Ching-de thanked Zhu for his work in cultivating talent and showcasing Taiwan through art. Premier Chen Jianren paid tribute to Zhu on social media, writing that Zhu had the courage to innovate and to constantly transcend his own limits. Zhu's internationally acclaimed museum is the light of Taiwan, Chen said. On its official Facebook page, the Juming Museum shared a handwritten memo by Zhu titled Fulfilling a Dream. Zhu wrote that he founded the museum to showcase art's development and to provide a place where all beautiful art can be cherished. Taiwan's egg shortage is gradually easing. Thanks to stable weather, egg production is back at nearly 70%. Meanwhile, egg imports are helping to keep shelves stocked and will continue to do so until the end of the year. The rise in egg supply has made a difference in prices. White eggs are now just 70 NT a caddy. Retailers say that price could dip into the 60s next week. Prices vary from store to store. There isn't a fixed price. The market has been pretty chaotic recently, but prices might drop to some 60 NT soon. Business hasn't been as good recently. It's gone down by at least 30 to 40 percent. So it feels like supply and demand are starting to balance out. In situations where supply exceeds demand, there's less of a chance that a black market will emerge for eggs. With retail prices in flux, Taipei's Egg Merchants Association asked members to set prices based on the current wholesale and farm gate rates, which are 55 NT and 45.5 NT a caddy, respectively. Based on current transaction trends, authorities are not expected to raise egg prices in the near future. Baowan is a kind of special Taiwanese dumpling. Legend says it has been a street food favorite since the 19th century. One Yunlin restaurant has been making and selling the snack for 75 years. Now third-generation owner Li Jiahang has taken on the family business after a career in baseball. For neighbors in Shiluo Township, it's a relief that the old taste of home can continue for another generation. One sizzle in the pan, filling the air with a delicious scent. When their skins are glistening, it's time to lift them from the pan. The crispy, crunchy bawan are delightfully chewy and generously filled. They're a local favorite. This business in Yunling's Xiluo Township has been serving bawan for 75 years. It began as a street stall and then moved into its own premises. But the unique local recipe was at one time almost lost to history. 
At the beginning, we had a legacy problem in the family because my mom and aunt were getting old, and at that time, I was in the Chinese Taipei national baseball team. I wasn't sure how long I could keep playing, so I just decided to come home and study and get on with entering the business. Young restaurant owner Li Jiahang makes the ba one. As he explains so clearly, he came home to take on the family business after a career as a formidable pitcher on the national baseball team. He even spent some time playing baseball in the U.S. At first, my mom made the ba one while I watched and learned. Then I started to do it myself. At first, of course, I made mistakes or things didn't go as planned. But gradually, I got more familiar with it, and actually, I'm better than mom now. Now, Lee has put his baseball career firmly behind him to concentrate on this career in the kitchen. The neighbors in Shiloh Township are glad the familiar taste of home is still there as it always has been. Today, in our spotlight story, we take you to meet Honduran artist Ariana Gale. Gale moved to Taiwan in 2018 to study Chinese calligraphy. Over the past few years, she has created many masterpieces in various mediums depicting her hometown. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang spoke to Gail to find out more. The walls are filled with a mixture of Chinese calligraphy and silk paintings. These silk paintings revolve around the life of the Lenka, a Mesoamerican ethnic group that has existed in Honduras since the pre-Columbian period. There are also works about Garifuna, the third largest minority and indigenous community in Honduras. Through these artworks, Gail hopes to showcase the culture and resilience of people in Honduras. Uh, this piece is a girl, uh, she's a Garifuna, and a lot of people in my country are different. And this girl is called Garifuna, which is like a whole geographic person. And they have their own language, their own culture, their own dances. And I always think they're like always so happy. They use a lot of beads in their hair. They are found like in the coast of Honduras. The way she was free and in the ocean, she just like wanted to swim. And she really, th I really think was a free spirit. So that's why I wanted to paint her and show the world like this beauty and like how different but beautiful it is, all the colors. This is also a jaguar. Then this one is a serpent. This piece depicts Mayan culture. The scroll is filled with stamps of Chinese characters and different animals such as jaguars, bats, serpents, and Chinese and Mayan characters drawn and hand-carved into stone by Gail. It's about Mayan culture, which is a civilization that lived a long time ago. I wanted to incorporate like some of the parts of their language, which still stands in the pyramids or some rock parts. So I wanted to take that and the beauty and put it inside with like, the Chinese culture and for that reason I used the silk carvings in tiny stones. Gail started learning how to draw when she was 13 years old. When she was 17, she received a scholarship from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs to study at National Taiwan University of Arts. Since then, she has experimented with a variety of mediums spanning from Chinese calligraphy, oil painting and silk painting. A lot of people told me to change my major or my department because it was too hard because of the level of Chinese. But my Chinese teachers were great. My first calligraphy teacher really encouraged me to learn this. He said calligraphy is almost like spiritual and personal so that I should persist and prevail. 
and continue and I continue and I'm about to graduate. I think Taiwan is a beautiful country and I think people, Taiwanese people are really nice and really open to foreigners. So I met a lot of friends. I also enjoyed a lot like hiking and exploring Taiwan. I think the natural beauty is amazing. Gail will be graduating this May. She says she hopes to continue to stay in Taiwan to work or pursue a master's degree in Europe to learn about modern art and continue growing her craft as a professional artist. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang and Hong Guokai in Taipei. A woodcarver in Taoyuan is dedicated to creating traditional furniture 100% by hand. Chen Liwei taught himself to carve altar tables more than 30 years ago. A single piece takes at least a year and often much longer. But as the art form declines in popularity, it's in danger of dying out. Chen is calling for a Taiwanese woodcarving museum to protect the traditional craft. Lifelike carvings jump out from altar tables and chairs. These very designs are incredibly intricate. Each line is carved by hand by Chen Li Wei. Chen focuses intently as he works on a design. Just carving out a single component for a piece can take months of work. Many designs for religious artifacts are extremely complex. So following a project from start to finish takes a whole year at the very least. It's my passion. I've loved carving since I was a kid. Chen is an art design graduate. He started not in wood carving, but in interior decorating. But after a while, his passion for wood carving led him toward art. He opened a workshop in Taoyuan's Dashi district, where he makes 100% hand-carved altar tables. But the industry is in decline. Not so many people in the younger generation pray at altar tables, and most of them don't care about these crafts. Imported goods are cheap, so it's been in constant decline. But Chen is dedicated to the craft, no matter whether it's fashionable or not. His main fear is that traditional skills like his will disappear if they're not embraced by younger artists. He wants the government to set up a woodcarving museum to help hand the craft down.